five, six, seven, eight. Break a leg. Hi, everyone. Did you notice we have a theme song now? That is by my wonderful friend William, who was so kind to help us out with the fantastic drums and guitar. So thank you, William. We will link his Instagram page in our description. Rock on, William. And now on to our show of the week. After this episode, you'll definitely remember her name. And no, this is not a fame reference. If you have a taste for terror, you'll want to take Carrie to prom. Hi everyone, and welcome back to Break a Leg Babble. As you may have guessed, our second episode of the Stagey Spook series is going to take a look at Broadway's biggest spooky flop, Carrie. The musical follows the story of Carrie White, a teenage outcast who longs to fit in. At school, she's bullied by the popular crowd and virtually invisible to everyone else. At home, she's dominated by her loving but cruelly controlling mother. What none of them know is that Carrie's just discovered she's got a special power, and if pushed too far, she's not afraid to use it. Sounds familiar? That's because Carrie the Musical is based off the 1974 Stephen King blockbuster novel of the same title. The classic 1976 film adaptation, directed by Brian De Palma, became a critical and box office smash and earned two Academy Award nominations, one for Sissy Spacek as Carrie and for Piper Laurie as Margaret White. Inspired by a 1981 performance of Albin Berg's opera Lulu at the Metropolitan Opera House, Lawrence D. Cohen, who wrote the script for the 1976 film version of Carrie and Michael Gore began work on the musical version of the Stephen King novel. Gore's famed collaborator, Dean Pitchford, was brought in to work on the project, which underwent numerous rewrites. In August 1984, a workshop of the first act was staged on Broadway with Annie Golden as Carrie, Maureen McGovern as Margaret White, Laurie Beachman as Miss Gardner, and Liz Calloway as Chris. The show was first presented by the Royal Shakespeare Company in Stratford-upon-Avon in England for a limited run at the Swan Theatre in February 1988 as part of a season of four American plays. It was directed by Terry Hands and choreographed by Debbie Allen. The show was butchered by the critics, though all of the parties pointed out that audiences over the three-and-a-half-week run gave it standing ovations at every performance. Barbara Cook, who originated the role of Carrie's mother, resigned from the role due to a set malfunction that almost resulted in a very dangerous injury. Decapitation. They also struggled with covering Lindsay Hately with stage blood because it would cause her microphone to malfunction. When a decision was made to move the show to New York City rather than London's West End, Betty Buckley replaced Cook in the role of Margaret White. Transferring to Broadway at the expense of $8 million, it opened at the Virginia Theater on May 12, 1988, starring Betty Buckley, Lindsay Hately, Sally Ann Triplett, Jean Anthony Ray, Charlotte D'Amboise, and Darlene Love. Similar to the reactions in England, the show opened to horrific reviews, despite performing to a sold-out theater almost every performance. The show famously closed after only 16 previews and five performances, making it known as Broadway's biggest flop. New life was breathed into Carrie when a reading was held on November 20, 2009 in New York City. The score and book were revised by the original composers and writer. The songs Dream On, It Hurts to Be Strong, Don't Waste the Moon, Heaven, I'm Not Alone, What a Night, and Out for Blood were removed and replaced with new songs. The reading was directed by Stafford Arima and starred Sutton Foster, Marin Mazzi, and Molly Ranson. 
On October 5th, 2010, it was confirmed that Carrie would be produced off-Broadway at the Lucille Lortel Theater by MCC, which began previews on January 31st, 2012, and officially opened on March 1st, 2012, ending its run a month later on April 8th after a limited engagement with 34 previews and 46 performances. The production starred Molly Ranson, Marin Mazzi, Christy Altamar, Derek Klena, and Carmen Kuzak. The MCC director said, MCC, the authors, and the director achieved what we all set out to do, to rescue Carrie from oblivion and give her new life. During the 2011-2012 award season, the show was nominated for multiple awards, winning one. And on September 25, 2012, the first ever Carrie cast recording was released. Carrie continues to live on through community performances and was recently featured on an episode of The CW's Riverdale. Here's the thing. Do I consider Carrie to be a flop? Yes and no. No, because it actually did really well box office-wise. And yes, because it closed on Broadway after only five performances without getting the chance to recoup. I also truly believe that the direction was all over the place. I know it was the 80s, but the costumes didn't work. The choreo was too over the top and misplaced. And the props, notably the fake cars, looked very, well... High school drama class. <laughs> Scale down, I think Carrie does a wonderful job of being captivating. Because the story is so bizarre, the fascination is there and always will be. I think it's just finding the best way to tell Carrie's story without the audience laughing at her. But if you have high-intensity workout choreography a la fame mixed with toga costumes, well, you're in for a night of laughter rather than fear and remorse. I think that the term flop is pretty outdated in the sense that these days, if something is considered a flop, people will still rush to go and see it, or it'll end up having a small and extremely dedicated fan base, even if it doesn't necessarily run long enough to recoup financially. So I think if we're going to call something a flop, we should put the word financial in front of it. And I think with Carrie, you do have to take it as it is. You know, I think that these shows that have more of a cult following or don't necessarily fit the traditional layout of the Broadway musical as it is, I feel like people are very quick to kind of write them off and they get skewered in the reviews just for being different in that sense. And it's kind of like, you know, I'm going to use Rock of Ages as an example. You go in, is it wild and over the top and fun and weird? Yeah, but if you just give into that, lean into it, you're in for a really great night. And so I think there's something to be said for giving shows that are slightly different that chance before writing them off completely review-wise. And uh, in terms of Carrie, I also think that waiting for the right audience was a huge factor. And in a way that she might have been way ahead of her time. You look at musicals right now. You look at Heather's, Be More Chill, Dear Evan Hansen, and Mean Girls. We are seeing a wave of stories that are teen-centric taking Broadway. So the teen, I, I don't want to say, call it teen angst, but yeah, the teen angst movement is alive and well. And I think the reason that these shows are so popular and have that financial success is the fact that the demographic of theater goers is changing. I mean, for myself personally, I've noticed a huge difference within the last five to 10 years of seeing more and more younger people getting involved and going to see shows in the theater. I think if Carrie were to have opened for the first time right now, 
in this era, I think it would have done extremely well and had a longer run just because now we're in a place where younger people are going to the theater and are loving to see themselves represented on stage. Yeah, I completely agree with what you just said, especially about being similar to shows like Heather's and Be More Chill, which poses the thought that maybe Carrie would not have succeeded directly on Broadway. But like we've seen with Heather's and Be More Chill, they had fantastic off-Broadway and out-of-town runs, you know? Yeah, and even circling back to what you said about the revival of Carrie, it was a close-ended run, but it did do quite well. And there was enough draw, enough revenue for the people who were creating it to say, yeah, let's release an album, which they didn't have that first time around. And I'd say that 2012, within the 2010s, so this past decade, that's kind of where that shift with younger people and more teen angst kind of driven stories, that's kind of where that shift began to happen. So honestly, if they were to revive Carrie again right now, well, maybe not right now because COVID, I could see it being extremely popular and maybe even having an extended run. Well, I think especially now with Carrie being more in the media, we saw it on Riverdale and they released their own little cast recording and now people really know these songs through that show as well and through um, Derek Kalena and Christy Altamar have such a big fan base now, which wasn't there back in 2012, you know? So I think more people since that album came out know about Carrie and love Carrie and appreciate Carrie for what it is. And I think, yeah, it would do really well getting another chance to be off Broadway, I think. Yeah. 100%. This is, you know, if if you're listening to this podcast and you're a writer, if you're writing something for the theater that is teen angsty, now's the time to get it out there, babes. I'm telling you. That's, yeah. I'm not qualified to give advice, but that's the advice I'd give. Totally. So what's your experience with Carrie the Musical? My experience with Carrie in general is pretty limited. It's mainly because I avoid anything that's even remotely horror-themed. However, I did come to find Carrie because I was Googling Gianna DeWall, who I'd seen in Wicked, and I ended up finding the Barnes & Noble performance of The World According to Chris from the album release back in 2012. So I immediately kind of fell down the YouTube rabbit hole of this revival. And it's such a brilliant score. Carrie is one of my favorite complete scores for a musical. And, you know, anytime you match teen angst and rock music, I'm probably going to enjoy it. I will buy a ticket to that. <laughs> and also, surprisingly enough, Carrie is such a classically Broadway story. Before you look at me like I'm crazy, it's a Cinderella story with a dark twist. And honestly, what's not to love about that? You know? And despite never being able to have the opportunity to see the show live, I truly do love the show. I love the revival cast recording. And the minute there's a production of it within my radius, I will be going to see it. <laughs> Carrie, if I'm not mistaken, was my first musical theater full-blown obsession. I read the novel after seeing the film when I was really young, like seven or eight years old, and I, I just <laughs> fell in love with the story. Because Carrie isn't just a horror film. 
There's so many layers to the story and to the character. It's a lot deeper than just pig's blood being dumped, you know? What I also think is so beautiful and tragic about the character of Carrie is that she is far stronger than she thinks, and that overpowers her in ways she didn't think were capable, which is quite sad because we all know how it ends. And um, yeah, on the DVD copy I had, there was a special feature about the Broadway production featuring some of the performers. And as a musical theater fan, I flipped the hell out. I mean, come on. With horror being my favorite film genre, it was never something I considered could be seen on stage, especially not Carrie, simply due to the um, the blood bucket at the end being dumped. <laughs> After watching that, I found all of the soundboard and archived videos and film performances on various Carrie fan websites. Also, a little shout out to those. Thank you for keeping it alive. I also feel that Carrie was something way before its time, and it also opened a discussion about normalizing having a period. And if I'm honest, I don't remember ever having that discussion until I saw the film. Of course, I was pretty young, and I also started my period at a very young age, and because of Carrie, despite being a little panicked at school, I knew what it was. All this to say, normalize periods. Normalize periods. <laughs> yeah, so um, we have some facts for you now. <gasps> fun facts. We love This is fun my favorite facts. segment. That's honestly the only reason I'm here. Let's do it. You go first. <laughs> Okay, here we go. Fun fact number one. Someone told director Terry Hands that Carrie was like Grease the musical and he thought they meant Grease the country. And so if you were wondering where the Toga costume inspiration came from, there you go. A technical glitch forced the producers of the musical to postpone the show's Broadway opening night by eight days, thus making it ineligible for the 1988 Tony Awards. Speaking of fame earlier, Debbie Allen choreographed the show. Due to stage effect limitations, the infamous ending of Knives Striking Margaret was changed to Carrie stopping her heart with telekinesis. And now we have some listener questions. Yay. All right. Question number one. Have you read the book? Yes. Carrie is one of my favorite books ever written. What's so interesting about Carrie is that every adaptation of the novel is quite different. They all differ a bit from the original writing, so... I highly suggest reading the novel before you check out any other media on it. Um, but if you're looking for a film version that is very close to the novel, I would suggest the 2002 film. I haven't read the book because, as I mentioned before, not a fan of anything horror. It just it sits too deeply and too heavy on me and I can't shake it off. Uh, but especially around the time that I found out about Carrie, it really wasn't my thing, and it still isn't. I prefer anything. The Rocky Horror Picture Show is about as horror as I get. Let's leave it at that. Favorite song in the show? Mm. My favorite song is You Shine from the 2012 revival, but I also think And Eve Was Weak is one of the best musical theater songs ever written. Yeah. You know, for me, every single track is a banger. I really love, you know, Do Me a Favor and Night Will Never Forget. But I think my top two favorites are You Shine, like you just mentioned, and Unsuspecting Hearts is probably my first place song for this. Mm. Good choices. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, here is a really good question we got. I 
thought it was so fun because I wasn't expecting it. But um, the question is, do you like Chris? This is my favorite question. And yes. <laughs> okay. Because in a way, Chris is the OG mean girl. You know, this is before Heather's. It was before Mean Girls. You know, she's the original bad bitch. I mean, straight up, she's not a good person and I would not want to be her friend. But she's such a fun character. She has some of the best one-liners, the greatest songs. And, you know, for me, she's a dream role. She's just, villains are fun to play. And, yeah, I love, love Chris. I'm not condoning any of her behavior. But I think she's a badass. <laughs> um, so I like Chris in the revival version of Carrie because they built a better story arc for her than just being the typical mean girl. However, I am very much one of those slay em all Carrie types of people during the destruction scene. <laughs> mm -hmm. Not gonna lie, the destruction scene, I'm still mad that Sue didn't get it because as much as she's trying to be a good person, she was still mean to her before. Just, mm. you know, mm -hmm. get rid of all of them. They suck. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of the Riverdale episode? You know, when it comes to the Riverdale episode, we have to look at it objectively, right? So for a musical episode of a TV show where the show is being done as a high school production in a small town, it was great. But is it something I would pay to sit in a theater to see? No. Lily Reinhardt was a highlight, and so was Casey Cott. And I think one of my favorite choices that they made was to have You Shine as a sweet friendship song between Betty and Veronica. You know, in Riverdale's defense, it is rare that I enjoy a musical episode of a TV show. And, you know, in a way, I think it is really awesome that they picked Carrie as a way of introducing a show that isn't quite as well known into the mainstream. Is Riverdale a guilty pleasure of mine? Yes. Is Carrie a guilty pleasure of mine? Yes. Did Riverdale frame Carrie the Musical in the best possible way, considering it's infamous for being crapped on by reviewers? Absolutely not. And that's on autotune, baby. <laughs> so, Carrie the Musical. Flop or not? Not. I think it's great. I think it's great, too. Anyway, that's all from us this week. Thank you for tuning in to our second episode of the Stagey Spook series. We hope that we didn't get too carried away. Ha ha ha. Well, it is National Period Day after all. Which is very fitting. So happy National Period Day, however you're celebrating. Normalize periods. Normalize periods. If you take anything away from this episode, it's to normalize periods. And not to bully anybody. And don't what? bully anybody. <laughs> One, because bullying is wrong. And secondly, they might have telekinetic powers and they just might snap on you mm -hmm. one day. You don't want that. And we don't want that for you. Be a good person. And we are now on Apple Podcast and we would love if you would give us a five-star review if you think we deserve five stars or however you want to rate us. Any rating is great. It's uh, it's good to get some feedback. So, yeah. Have a great week. And don't forget. Break a leg. Break a leg. <laughs> Bye. Bye.